expansions of E. coli and cyclic dominance. What was your last name, Marcus? Weber. Weber. Thanks. All right, so I'm Johannes Knebel, also a PhD student of Evan Fry, and I'm working on Knebel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like the, like the stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I'm working on population dynamics in, in general, so stochastic setup and um, also on yeah, broader terms uh, evolution of corporations, so bacterial models for that. I'm Mimi Cole. I'm a professor at UC Berkeley in integrative biology and in biophysics, and I'm an experimentalist, and I study biofluid mechanics, so sort of the physics of how organisms of different types interact with the fluids around them. Okay, my name is Erwin Frein. I come from Munich. I'm a theoretical biophysicist. I'm interested in the role of noise and nonlinearity in population dynamics. I'm Andrew Murray. I'm from Harvard. Um, I work on a variety of things, but they include cooperating with David Nelson to do things about range expansion and various things about the evolution of novelty, including the evolution of cooperation. And we, I, that means experimental evolution. We try and make things happen in the lab. Um, I'm Joab Soen from the Weizmann Institute. And uh, I'm interested in uh, developmental plasticity and how gene environment interactions might uh, bring about uh, new features and how this could. Uh, play a role in uh, uh, the evolution of new functions. 
Now, Jeff Gore, MIT. Uh, his laboratory, uh, microbial populations, uh, study evolutionary game theory and also some questions in theoretical ecology, like the dynamics of populations before a collapse. Uh, I'm Max Lavrentovich. I'm a graduate student at Harvard, and I'm interested in um, spatial dynamics and range expansion evolution. I didn't get the first part of your last name. Oh, L A V R E N T. Hi, I'm Prasad, and I'm a postdoc at Hancock University. And I'm interested in population genetics in presence of flow, computation and everything, I mean, presence of external flow. Where did you say you work for something? In Eindhoven University. Eindhoven. I'm Peter Byrne. I'm uh, the writer in residence here at KITP for the next nine weeks. And uh, I'm from Petaluma, California. I uh, published a couple of books and I uh, write for magazines including Scientific American and um, previously about physics, but I'm obviously migrating to biology. I'm not writing down Peter because he was here last week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Michael Dobley. I'm from the University of British Columbia. I'm and I would say an evolution biologist interested in the evolution of diversity and the evolution of cooperation. And uh, I'm in both the math and the zoology department at UBC. <laughs> if you weren't David Nelson already, you are now. <laughs> Uh, range expansions in microorganisms and life at high Reynolds number. I'm Andre Kushmarov, a postdoc at Harvard with David Nelson. Currently, I'm working on soft and SNR problems, but in the past, I also worked on the immune system, and I'm in general interested in the problems that interest in physics and biology. He was here last week, so we're not ready. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Simon Pigolotti, I work in Barcelona. Uh, my interests are in uh, population dynamics and theoretical biophysics in general. I'm Mont Jensen, I work at the NIFO Institute, and I mostly work on cell oscillations and gave the very first talk. <laughs> <laughs> and also a little bit of population dynamics with this equipment here. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's a space on the wiki where you can write a much better version of this for yourself if you like. But this is just handy to kind of have in front of us for the moment. Yeah, yeah. and I, I will I will give a short, abbreviated intro to the wiki and a, and a little bit where I will show where that page is and how to access it. It's very easy. Um, so. Uh, what we did last time, last week, was uh, we opened it up to everyone to explain what they would like to see out of this program during their tenure here. And we wrote down the stream of consciousness, ideas on the board. Then we photographed it <laughs> with a cell phone, and we put it on the wiki. So, and actually then Cassandra actually 
try to understand what she wrote <laughs> and type it. But uh, uh, so we'd like to do that again, I think. And uh, uh, perhaps we should do that now, and then uh, we finish up with me showing some things about the wiki. Yeah. Okay. And that those are the these things underneath. What last week's ideas are the six. You know, the, the two word summaries of our talk for 40 minutes or something about roughly ideas and topics and things that people wanted to, were coming here with questions in their mind or thought it would be nice to discuss with other people. Um, and I don't know to what extent those ideas shaped the discussions we had last week. <coughs> they certainly fed in, and we could see evidence, for example, of a desire for or against common ground and different things. So. So I thought it would be handy to have those up. If there are other ideas that are related to these that people have, then we can make note of that. Or, or aren't related. Or related, that's right. I think we missed something. Yeah, probably. So uh, I open it up, uh, just scream out some ideas of things that you want to see happen. So I, I just arrived, and I, I'm still equilibrating, but one of the things that I find exciting about uh, this week's talks is that uh, we'll actually hear from some ex more uh, experimenters and uh, allow, hopefully, as the workshop progresses, a confrontation between the elegant, beautiful, abstract, theoretical ideas of population genetics with reality. And my own experience in, with Andrew Murray's lab has been a very humbling one, because when I actually look at what's going on in these uh, experimentally accessible things, there are new problems, and you get a sense of how, what the really hard problems and what the really useful contributions that theorists might be able to make. So that's my hope for this workshop. Yes, Nina. I'd love to ask for a sentence about each buzzword in the first list, just so that we don't, so that I know what people were thinking about that, with, mm -hmm. so that we don't toss out a bunch of redundant things. Okay, I can do that because I have it here. Thanks. Uh, so under cancer, that's the first one. Why do the emergent selection pressures in solid tumors acting on the simultaneous undirected variation of all cell behaviors lead to the appearance of a regular sequence of particular cell capabilities known as cancer progression? Quote unquote. Uh, so here are some comments. The gen genetics underlying these cell behaviors are essentially unknown in detail. So toy models. Uh, focus on physical behavioral parameters. And James Glazer said he would be happy to introduce others to his tools for the simulation of these behavioral patterns. Uh, it would be useful for us to obtain some current specific expertise on what data are currently available for some of these, to establish some of these parameters. So we have also had a discussion, could we invite uh, experts on, let's say, a particular type of cancer who have a lot of data but don't necessarily know how to analyze it or what to do with it. Uh, so we're thinking about. Or who could give, give people who are yes. building models more accurate ideas yes. of what data are actually available. Um, can we predict for a specific tumor type the spatial and temporal gradient structures that will maximize its rate of progression? Uh, how can we apply physical theory to data on normal versus disease state cell communication? Uh, comment. Genetics has not been helpful for solving this problem. Uh, that was but, but see some work by Friedel. <laughs> so uh, there's a link to Friedel's paper. Uh, 
do tumors operate near the near these near optimal parameter values? That was another question. Uh, can we design non-toxic therapeutic interventions which move the tumor away from these optima in some phase space and thus slow the rate of tumor progression? Do tumors represent a loss of cooperation or merely a different mode of cooperation? Okay, what was next? Division of labor. Uh, okay, what ideas and predictions can we generate uh, about uh, specific uh, division of labor problems that are experimentally testable? What tools are available or should be developed to perform such tests? Are germline slash uh, somatic predictions related to the can to cancer questions slash issues? What is the relative importance of change, uh, i.e. mutation variation, that occurs during uh, mitosis or uh, versus absent cell division? So no escape versus possible escape there. Okay, common tools, grants, there's a lot under that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go through it all, but is there, is there a way for us to establish common language between uh, biologists, even theoretical biologists who maybe study population dynamics and uh, physicists who are uh, coming at it from a physics point of view? Uh, what modeling tools are available? Uh, are there some bedrock principles we can all agree on? Or do our disagreements extend even to the very uh, uh, bedrock of, of the subject? Um, and there was an acknowledgment that the historical nature of many fields, including biology, has a big impact on this, and that there was some interest in making sure that we were all aware of what foundational or seminal contributions or publications might have been so they don't have to re rehash old battles. I don't know if anyone's put anything up about that, but uh, there was certainly interest in trying not to go over old ground. Um, yeah, and making sure everyone was on the same page about what had already been dealt with. Or... Right, there was a feeling that uh, maybe physicists uh, in the audience don't want to get involved in the uh, epic battles that the biologists are having about cooperation. But maybe, maybe they would like, maybe they would like to know what it's all about. What some of it's about, yeah. Between fields. What is it about? They don't like to get involved in arguments. Is it semantics or is it a real issue? Okay, that was a question. Yeah. Uh, okay, networks. Uh, oh, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, Volvox and other models. Well, I think the idea was there uh, that. Uh, uh, people would like to work in areas where there's a lot of data, and there is a lot of data on Volvox. Um, are there other model organisms where there's a lot of data that physicists can look at? Um, networks. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. That's not an assertion. <coughs> that there, excuse me. <coughs> that there's more data on Volvox, for example, than there is on Cinerabditis elegans or Prosophila. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not saying there is. The Volvox was just mentioned as an example where there is data. Yeah, I'm not saying there's more on data on Volvox. But do I remember correctly? Volvox is believed by some to be at one of these cusps that was discussed this morning. It, 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 its cooperation goes way back and. It's a very simple example. There's one, the germ and the soma that are separated. 
Um, I remember the yeah, there's sort of two-ish cell types, and yeah. one is reproductive and one is not, and there's a certain amount of genetics known, and a lot of all the same algae are, can be transiently multicellular. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, Independent uh, from the mesons or uh, origin of multicellularity. Okay. But a recent paper of Michaud says its multicellularity only goes back about 40 million years. Not way back. Is okay. that controversial? Uh, I don't think anyone else has done a phylogeny. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't Thank you. Okay. Um, uh, uh, okay. Um, networks. Uh, uh, there was some discussion of whether networks are different. Do we gain net? Do we gain uh, insight from studying networks in the abstract sense, uh, in terms of information flow or? Uh, even entropy, uh, can, can that be applied up and down the scales of different types of networks that we might encounter? And uh, gradients. Uh, what is the role of gradients in the speed of somatic evolution? Within the space of spatiotemporal variability, are there optimalities with predictable evolutionary effects? I'm not sure what that means, but uh, anyone? Have an insight on that? No. Okay. All right, that's it. <laughs> Let's start some new ideas. All right. So we had one here. Uh, experiments versus re reality. I mean, experiments versus theory. <laughs> reality versus theory. So to say experiments and theory, what is the relationship between these things with respect to use and reality? I would like to add something to that. I mean, there are model experiments where you have very specific conditions, and I would like to know from the biologists what's their relation to field experiments. That's exactly what I was going to say. But I'm a biologist. By model experiments, you mean careful? Well, well, just, well just, I, would, I would actually put, I, would, I, I guess I would describe it as exp a laboratory experimentation yeah. versus okay. field yeah. observation. That's what I mean. Yeah. Right, and in particular, that's this issue. We can involve organisms in the lab where we know exactly what happened. I think there are deep reasons for being distrustful about inferences made from comparing present-day organisms about the properties of their ancestors. So the laboratory experiments have questionable relevance to evolution as it occurs in the wild. And the inferences made from comparing extant life forms about the condition of life in the past, I think there are reasons for being profoundly distrustful about them. And so there are problems with both. And so I think the question that everyone was asking is a really important question. And it's obviously connected to the first question. I wonder, Dave, could you, could you elaborate on what your statement there with it? Well, I, I'll, I'll, I mean, I, oh, is that true? I, mean, I, I would just say that my own, I, it's been a great pleasure for me to read the beautiful contributions of, of, of population genetics and population dynamics. Um, um, but sometimes they, like many physics fields, seem to get far from uh, experimental reality. And there, there are many, many models that we could all solve and write down and talk to each other about as theorists. But it, to me, it's wonderful to have uh, the, the, the winnowing effect of at least model experiments and ultimate experiments in the wild to force us to think about biologically relevant issues. 
I mean, I think there's one other thing that sort of floats over all of these things that relate to, to theory and experiment, that at least as I understand how the non-biological part of physics has worked, physicists, I mean, sorry, theorists and experimentalists talk to each other often before the experiments are done, whereas at least until very recently in biology, it's been the case that experimentalists do experiments and theorists do theory and there's some sort of information flow back and forth. But it is relatively rarely true that experiments are designed in association with theorists so as to put theory to rigorous tests. Mm -hmm. What you guys think of as theory. Has it helped you uh, with these discussions you feel? Yeah. yeah. That's why I'm here. I've been here before I came back. Amy, did you have a... Yeah, this, this relates to the real world part, which is that um, the performance of whatever we're thinking about, whether it's multicellular, singular, single cellular, or whatever it is, takes place in the real world, which varies in space and time, not in beakers and on petri dishes or in computers. And so how does the performance of whatever entity we're thinking about function in a real world which is complex and changing. Because organisms aren't optimal. They're simply better than the other guys around uh -huh. and yes. it, to, in order to s survive and keep going. Right. And, uh, and so what, you know, there's a temporal piece of, in a variable environment about that as well as a spatial mm -hmm. issue and yeah. who else is around. Right. I think that's really worth bringing up because there is certainly a significant fraction of the sort of people from physics thinking about evolution group who argue strongly in favor of thinking about optimality. People like Ariel on and stuff. I think it is. I mean, it's worth notice, noting that there are people who think there is and people who think there is not. Right. Right, so I don't have to run faster than a bear, I just have to run faster than the guy next to me. Yes. Right, mm -hmm. the bear. Okay. I mean, there's, just to pick up on that point, if there's a time-dependent environment that's challenging an organism, it, it, it perhaps pays to diversify its stock portfolio and have a range of possible coexisting uh, genotypes or phenotypes, which can be, some of them hopefully can be ready for anything. And I think that changes. Now you're just talking about generalized form of optimality, right? No, but only if you live near your relatives. Right? If you don't, if you just have whatever the best strategy in aggregate is. A lot of these organisms can switch. One species can be multicellular or single cell, depending on what's going on around them. And then multicellular, um, both plants and animals have complex life cycles where they can do different things at different times depending what's going on. So there's this whole temporal bit that we haven't really talked about. Yeah, we could say life cycles. Well, life cycles. Yeah, yeah life how cycles. Do we model a, yeah. The life cycle component. And we might learn some things about multicellularity by seeing what circumstances the multicellular forms of a life cycle tend to occur and what circumstances the single cell forms tend to occur might tell us something about the factors that affected their evolution. Last week,
week we had some talks on game theory. Um, I think there was one slide that said, why game theory, something like that? There was one slide and a lot of comments. A lot of comments. <laughs> <laughs> we, might, we might even phrase it in the negative. We might say, why, why not game? Why, why shouldn't? Is there anything game theory can't do that we, that we would like? Model reality. <laughs> okay, that's a strong form. Uh, why or why not? Uh, okay. Uh, another thing from last week. Uh, there was some disagreement about fitness. One camp said, well, what is fitness? One camp said, fitness is just a scalar. It's semantics. It's not important. Let's move on. And the other people said, fitness is deep. We, fitness is a derived quantity. We don't know how to derive it. We can only have proxies for it. Actually, maybe they both said we can only have proxies for it. One said, since we can only have proxies for it, let's forget about it and move on. The other said, no, it's, it's a deep issue. What is fitness? We should, uh, we should understand better what we're doing in our models when we use fitness. This was never resolved. Maybe it never will be. <laughs> but but it's related to the thing that Amy was talking about, yes. about real world, which environments that change over space and time, that especially for asexual organisms where they're effectively clonal, the classical measure of fitness, which is it is a number of progeny you leave that survive and leave, give progeny in the next generation, if the cycle of environmental variation is longer than that, that's probably not a very good definition of fitness. And so I think it is. I think it's certainly complicated. So the people that were saying this are in this room. Are they? They came through last week and they left. Or here? <laughs> 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 We're not entirely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I paraphrased a huge amount of back and forth. A lot of the discussion uh, took place during Michael's talks, particularly the second one, if I remember correctly. And the uh, content of his talks, the visual content anyway, I think is on the wiki. Um, and so that could be a place to get an idea for what was it that. I think even the discussion is on the is, is on the archive. Well, that's right. It's all it's all recorded. It's all recorded. Here, recorded and, yeah, all and I believe that we can't see, so we have to believe that my voice. <laughs> that's right. I believe that the discussion was in the room where the recording is the best. So, so I, I, I actually, it's quite good. It's quite good. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the discussion during the even the back row recordings are great. One. Defect, perhaps, is that when people go to the blackboard, you know, mm -hmm. there's no there's no cameraman following them. Uh, there, there is there oh, is sometimes some cell phone. It, the, the, someone is looking and sometimes does move there, but not always. Not always. Right. At least so the voice it depends if you fell asleep. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although we didn't we didn't really have a lot of get up at the board discussion. Okay. Was, yeah, right. didn't happen last week. Could happen this week. That'd be good. And then we could get the big brother. Is that only for security or what is it? <laughs> we could get we could get those presumably. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, this session was almost recorded, but we decided not to do it. Okay. Uh, uh, more, more issues. I was wondering uh, if anybody during the, the course of the conference is going to talk about um, evolutionary uh, fitness issues in terms of cosmology, which is something people do talk about. They talk about, for instance, black holes 
spawning heritable universes. At all. Spawning universes. Heritable. I don't think anyone's going to talk about that. Yeah, that's a, that's, I've heard those speculations too. The entire universe is evolving and natural selection is acting on it. It's a pretty big trend in, in out there cosmology. Well, Lee Smolin wrote some papers on this. Uh, I consider Lee Smolin on the edge of crack pottery, so I'm, I'm not. <laughs> and I don't say that because it's not recorded. I was but, uh, but, uh, it is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Off the record. Not the record. But, uh, but anyway, yeah. I'm not sure how cooperation would emerge from that. <laughs> how do we check? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think one thing that I think one thing that we were excited about in this program was that we could actually bring physicists, both theoretical and experimental biologists, both theoretical and experimental together, and actually talk about experiments. So uh, in the universe, we only have one experiment, <laughs> and we don't know the fundamental. I mean, we don't even know the fundamentals underlying that. So the uh, so it would be nice uh, to, whenever possible, talk about actual data and uh, the possibilities of getting data. Uh, can we can we reduce an abstract question to one that's accessible to a tabletop experiment? It'd be great also to expand on. Andrews and David's point to hear, I'd love to hear like a real world example success story of where it sounds like you both are saying that the interplay between theory and, and experiment from your groups was successful and satisfactory uh, by some measure to both of you. And so it'd be great to have, you know, I know you both are going to present eventually, but other people who have example, real world examples where it was really helpful to me as an experimenter or to me as a theorist to have this partnership. And this is how we actually did it because I think this point is critical that Andrew brought up where the flow is not happening between different perspectives while the process, experiment, whatever it is, is ongoing or being developed, then then we end up with a situation that we have a lot of the time, which is, well, here's my data, the theory, which was developed independently, so we have nothing to say to each other or vice versa. So that would be great if people have examples of this you know, where it has helped them or, or examples where they try to do something and it has not worked and maybe there are other ideas that others could say, well, I also tried that and went about it that way and it didn't work for me at all, but maybe this will be better for you. So I would definitely love to hear some of those success stories. Yeah, I would say I think the cases that where theory, where theorists and experiments actually work like that together are fairly rare. That's right. You know, it's not that we would have a lot of trouble coming up with them because I think the number of examples isn't that many really. I mean, there are examples of where it's all the same person. So sure. Stan Leibler, for right. example. Yes, that is true. Does, has everything in the same lab. Right, so, right. So, and that has happened with some success. Right. right. Yeah. So or even the number of those uh, Fermi-like people is pretty rare. Right. Right. Although I was at dinner with Stan the other day when he was here, and he said if he had to do it again now, he wouldn't bring experiments into his lab. <laughs> when he felt he had no choice at the time. At the time, at the time he felt he had to do it. Correct. Yeah. yeah. He said he would run. That's right. So the correlation time of Stan's statements is not necessarily. That's right. It has to be provided. Okay, yeah, all right. I think a deep relation between point one and two and three, because how you define really uh, game theory of fitness is a 
question of how you define interaction between individuals in your system. Uh-huh. And of course, you can engineer things to be, you know, a particular type of E. coli which interacts in a very special way you have engineered into. But then if you go into a real-life scenario with Pseudomonas aeruginosa and you study something like siderophore production, there's so many facets to it. And it's not even clear what kind of interaction you take in order to describe your system. Right, so... So you're saying you, you despair of making a gradual complexification of the theorizing to ever reach reality? Is that what you're saying? It, it's not clear to me, actually. If you, if you look in Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which we looked at recently, uh, then if you just have a common good like citrophores produced there, it affects so many other things in the metabolism of these guys. Um, that picking out something, um, you know, you might find a solution to a particular corporation problem which you engineer into your bacterial system, but the actual one may have a very different solution which you don't know about because you are not able to investigate. You oversimplify. Yeah. Actually, if I can think on this, this was one of the topics, I mean, one of the reason of debate in the last week, I mean, uh, this thing of why not in theory, I mean, people were discussing whether the examples, experimental examples that were studied were constructed to be just the model. Yeah. I mean, of course, you, if you are skilled enough, you can construct an experimental system which follows the model. Or if it's really that, in theory, it's a description of a, of a biological problem that would exist even without experiment. So that, that was uh, one of the points of uh, debate. But I think so this is, is connects a lot with what you're saying. And this is also why we do experiments, right? I mean, even if you have an idea of what you think might happen when you go and make a measurement, it doesn't always work that way, right? I mean, in our case, when we started with the yeast sucrose stuff, I, I, mean, I, I chose it because I thought it was a prisoner's dilemma because that's the, that was the title of the paper that motivated me, and it, and it, it wasn't. You know, so I think that there's, I mean, experiments test assumptions as well, even when you pick things that you think you kind of are, are going to know. So I, I, I guess I feel like. Um, it's okay to have some ideas of what you think might happen, but then I think it's also good to go make measurements and see what actually happens. And because sometimes you find that things are more complicated, and then, but sometimes it's in interesting ways, and sometimes it's just in complicated ways, right? And, but then you have to do me- make measurements to figure that out. But then even what you decide to measure can be influenced a little bit by how you're looking at the problem. Oh, of course. Uh, I was talking with Nicola about this last week, and we sort of agreed there's at least two different ways that as an experimentalist you can look at your system. You can just look at it and write down, measure anything that you have the tools to measure or comes to mind to you measure or you happen to notice with your bias, whatever. Or you can think first about a particular property that you hypothesize the system has and then go to measure that specific property. So that, I think, uh, bears a little bit into the discussion we were having last week about yeah. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I, I, I tend to think that uh, theory suffers a little bit from availability bias. It's too canalized to, uh, to uh, specific tools and specific ideas. And as a result, I think uh, it often avoids, uh, avoids making new discoveries because, because of the... Uh, um, uh, because of the uh, 
is confinement to specific tools and specific ideas. And uh, the uh, biological reality is so, uh, so complex and, uh, and rich that uh, I think that we should, we should uh, uh, always uh, try to figure out what is the system tries to tell us and uh, as opposed to uh, coming up with an, with a theoretical idea and try to impose that on the system. Yeah. Uh, Nicola, are you going to talk later about uh, tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning. So if anyone's interested in this, what was brought up recently about the common good and the Sidera form, uh, Nicola will talk about that in tomorrow morning session. By the way, I would, I would like to give an example, yeah. like the issue of optimality. Okay. Yes. Now, maybe there is a principle of optimality, maybe there isn't. I really don't know, but I, I, I also don't see the reason to pre-assume that. And, uh, um, but because, because it is really very often assumed, uh, and it's assumed because it's, it's, it's very convenient. If you, know, if you assume that, you can derive all sorts of uh, nice things with it, but it may tell us, it, it may really lead us in, 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 in the wrong way. So that's again availability bias. But the way, that, perhaps one way to handle that is to ask the optimality people to make a falsifiable prediction yeah. and design an experiment to prove them wrong. That's not so crazy, and it might be a way to, to put this, um, get some illumination. Right, it's a theoretical idea that tells you something that you can try to measure, and I guess I, li I like that as the role of theory. You know that you know, there's interesting ideas out there, and then it, then experimentalists can go and it tells us what we should be measuring. In the optimality case, there's a prediction that oh, you know, lack of expression of the lactose operon is going to be optimal after some number of terms. You know, that's that's an experimental question, right? And I like to know what we should be measuring. I'm actually surprised that there's so much talk about optimality in this particular context of, let's say, cooperation. Because if you think about cooperation and game theory, and game theory is sort of the, the opposite of optimality. And game theory is frequency dependence, meaning what, what's good for an, a unit on the selection depends on, as you mentioned, maybe what everybody else is doing at this particular moment. That's not optimality. Optimality is when what's good is just, you know, it's independent of the other people. And if we're talking about something like cooperation, and cooperation is an intrinsically frequency-dependent problem. Because cheating is only good when, when a lot of people are cooperating, for example, and so on. So I'm actually kind of surprised that there is so much emphasis on optimality because so another way the way I often think about it is in the space of all models optimality models is, is a, a volume zero subset of all evolutionary models because it's when you put all the parameters describing the effects of other people around you to zero and so a general evolutionary model is never an optimization model so even in the simplest Picture the Nash equilibrium is not, yeah, not where you go, right? Yeah. Not the evolutionary stable. So a much better um, metaphor, in my opinion, is the fitness landscape, but one that always depends on where the current population is. So the fitness landscape itself is dynamic, 
And on this landscape, you all, you walk upwards, but what, what up, the upwards direction is, that changes over time, because the whole fitness landscape changes. And uh, so, I, I realized that in evolutionary biology, but also among, say, physicists who are not exactly in the field, this whole idea of optimality is, is very attractive, but I think it's actually wrongly so. Okay. Yes? I, I think a, a good way that, that theory and experiment can work hand in hand is um, observing patterns in the natural world and making hypotheses about the mechanisms underlying them and then developing a mechanistic theory based on those hypotheses which then inform how experiments should be done because you can tell from the theory which factors are likely to have big effects and which ones are likely to have trivial effects and then if the experiment and um, so, so it can direct what you need to modify and measure in your experiments and then depending what the experiments show you may need to figure that other thing either you disprove the theory or it, you realize other factors are important and so there's this back and forth back and forth and I think that's the most fruitful way I found that working theory and experiment hand in hand can help us go forward but I do think that that theories based on the real world with testable hypotheses and testable assumptions can really guide experiments in a very fruitful way. Okay. And I guess there's a, a historical question of how often has that been true, right? So you could argue that Darwin and Wallace made it true, but for example, the discovery of the lack operon is based on sort of minimal connection to the real world. Things, what is true for eco, what is true for the element, and it's deeply debatable what, whether that's true in practice or not, or at what level that's, that's true. But I think it's an interesting, I mean, there are clearly problems where that iteration helps. There are also presumably ways where you start with theory and then do toy models and go through that loop a couple of times and then go into the real world. And so there's an interesting question of that. Is there an optimal direction for all problems, or is it just idiosyncratic? Okay. Uh, any, anything else right now? We'll do this periodically so that we don't uh, get stuck with any one list. Uh, but I think this will keep uh, Cassandra and myself busy for a while, <laughs> getting this on the wiki. We promise to solve all of these questions by Friday. Yes. <laughs> I guess there's one more thing which yeah. is a little controversial. But it's like, you know, most of the people in this world come from, in this room come from physics, right? And they look at things that biologists do. And the people who are professional biologists have in their own field opinions about what are good and bad experiments. And there's sort of two aspects of good versus bad. One is the extent to which a hypothesis is really being tested and the people who have done the experiments really can conclude A, B, and infer and see whether speculations are reasonable, right? So there's a sort of question about the logical quality of what goes on. And then there's a, a separate one about experimentally what goes on. And 
one question is at what level do you guys feel confident about reading papers and assessing and going, you know, this is a 10 or this is a 1 on, the, on either of those scales? Because the biological literature is a bit like the Bible. You yeah. can find. Well, no, it really is. You can find in an abstract that says almost anything. It cannot possibly be the case that all of it is a correct description of the universe. And I, I, would, I would confidently assert that at least half of it is wrong, either because the logic that was used to design and interpret experiments were wrong, or because the experiments are so badly done that the paper is just not even worth the writing. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah, and it came up last week as and, well and, when we were talking writing. about... Well, right, but, but if that's something that is in any sense news to you guys, we need to educate. <laughs> 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 that's how it is. Some of those papers actually could have appeared in Science and Nature. Oh, of course. Not only could they have appeared, <laughs> they did. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not a list. No, exactly. So we're safe there. No, it came up last week when we were discussing the sort of historical baggage, and we were saying, oh, we must you know, know what, what are the current uh, state-of-the-art data. And I pointed out something very similar, which is that there are pieces of evidence or data, and I'm putting my fingers around, that I have colleagues who would say, yes, absolutely, this is a great experiment, this is a great interpretation, this is a great hypothesis testing, this is a mechanistic explanation, and I would say, no, this is none of these things. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's also a real thing. Right. And those judgments, as they always are, are clouded by interpersonal interactions between the people who do right. things. Right. But I think an, an important issue also is that physicists and biologists often disagree on some of these things. Right? So there, some of it is just is, is a matter of training to figure out what proper controls are and so forth. But I think that there is an aesthetic issue that is real. Right. Okay. Uh, now we will segue to the part of the session where I show you how to use the wiki space. So I'm starting at the KITP homepage, and you'll see the three almost concurrent programs uh, with their icons there. Each of those icons is actually an active link, uh, though you could go over to the right and click on those links, it's completely equivalent. So let's click on this one. All right, so that's the program's web page. That takes you to the program's web page, which is uh, a little too big, but uh, if you scroll down, you'll see in the lower right a set of links here. This is a link to the conference, which starts February 4th. Uh, but here's the link to the wiki space, so you can click on that, or you could just remember this address, multicell13.wikispaces, don't forget the S, dot com. That takes you to our wiki space. Now the wiki space, if you're not familiar with it, is a, uh, it's actually a tool, this particular version was a tool that is, is used by schools, and students and teachers in secondary schools a lot. And it's designed to be easy to use. And what they found here at the KITP is it's very useful for sharing information and for organizing information. And using this tool, we can eliminate emails and email chains and back and forth with the constant 
infinite loops of emails. And in fact, uh, uh, it seems to work very well that way. So, uh, sorry, it's advantage over yeah, traditional email. Is this more democratic, so everybody knows what's being discussed? Or? Exactly, it's completely democratic. Once, once you join the wiki, and, and everybody should have gotten an invitation to, to join. Uh, uh, it's a very simple procedure. You, you know, you pick your own name on the wiki. Uh, I'll show how to log in. So, uh, but uh, uh, you can you'll, you'll see everything everyone else sees, and you have full editing privileges, except for one or two areas which we keep locked. Okay, but those areas have to do with uh, uh, like the weekly schedule, things like that. But everything else is. Is, uh, you can edit. Okay. So we can edit our arch enemies' comments? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> you can edit their research description of themselves. You could take their picture and draw horns on it or tails or uh, and put it back on. Yeah, you could do all of that. Uh, you can do it anonymously. You do I guess there is a history. Yeah, yeah. So we could track you down. Uh, okay. So. Uh, there's not too much information on, the, on this front page. There's a little bit, uh, if you have some problems, uh, one of the postdocs here, Adele Diarian, has agreed to be the wiki master. Uh, so he could probably answer your questions. Uh, what I wanted to really show you was uh, on the left, there are a set of links. And uh, they basically come in three varieties. This, uh, this group here then the middle group, and then the bottom group. The bottom group, that's a, those are links back to the KITP. They actually don't live, uh, you may not think this is important or not. They, they don't live uh, in the wiki space. They live back at the KITP. So for instance, you can go back to our program. You could go to the KITP's weekly schedule. That's, a, that's the overall schedule for the KITP. You could go to the participant list that the KITP puts together. Let's just do that, for instance. Those are all the people who are here now. Uh, no, actually, I guess they're all the people who are ever coming uh, to this program, this particular program. Um, and you can actually sort this. Like, if you want to get the arrival date, you want to sort the arrivals, where you can see who's coming. Uh, well, I don't know why it didn't work quite right there. Uh, <laughs> did that work? Well, yeah, yeah, it yeah. sort of did, yes. Um, uh, so this is the group that's already here. Yeah, and then then within that within that sorting, it's alphabetical again. Um, it has nothing to do with wiki. We can just go to your website. That's right. This has nothing to do with wiki. That there, those are links that take you back to the um, take you back to the KITP. So so if if there's something you want back at KITP, you can actually get there from the wiki. Okay, that's the point. Uh, the weekly schedule, okay, I'm not gonna get those. Okay, more important perhaps are these links here. Now these are links that we can actually create ourselves in a very simple way. For instance, I think uh, we created challenging questions where we took a photo of the board last week and we put it up on there. Let's take a look at that. Yep, there it is. Those are the, that's what we did last week. Uh, this is the typed, Thing that I read off, or at least read some of this off uh, at the beginning of our session. Uh, we, we can add to that. In fact, we will add to that. The stuff will go up on that on that page. Uh, that's for you. This is really for you to make what you want with it. So, uh, uh, in fact, the whole wiki is like that. The whole wiki is what you make it in a sense. Um, talks and discussions. 
Well, this is the this was the schedule for week one, and this is the schedule for week two, uh, so far. And uh, and soon we'll have the schedule, the preliminary schedule for week three up there. Uh, this you can't edit, but uh, it, but what you do if you want to be added to this or you want to have a discussion, we can we can organize informal discussions. For instance, it doesn't have to be in a big space like this. We can use some of the smaller spaces here. Go to one of the coordinators, me or Cassandra or David Ben Simone, when he shows up, uh, and say, I want to do this, and then it'll pop up there. So you can obviously self-organize at any stage. Yeah, like if you want like a dedicated space and for it to be recorded, for example, we can arrange that for you. So that can be helpful if you want. OK. Uh, uh, talks and discuss reference materials. Uh, Do we have a talk tomorrow at 1.30? Uh, we don't have one tomorrow at 1.30. Uh, let's not, because it's, it's let's not. Quite we, were, we were asked, actually, the reason we don't is because we had one at 1.30, and then one of the administrators here said, you've overscheduled your program. And we had to trim, we had to trim the tree, so to speak. OK. Uh, so reference materials. This is a very uh, good thing to have. Uh, uh, for instance, Moen Jensen's uh, talk the other day, uh, uh, we have links to uh, papers. Uh, some of these go to the journal. Some of them go are links to PDFs, for instance. Uh, uh, when you give a talk, uh, I encourage you go to the space, you, you make a title. I'll show you how to do that in a second. And you, you put some links. So easy, you wouldn't believe it. It's about as easy as writing in uh, Microsoft Word or something like that. It's very simple. <laughs> it's much simpler than, let's say, Adobe Illustrator or something like that. All right. Uh, research profiles. Uh, uh, well, Jean Carlson, we always put hers there just as a placeholder. <laughs> For instance, uh, Cassandra actually did a very good job. She, she wrote a paragraph, put the links in, uh, and other people have done uh, things like that. Look, me, I've done a very bad job. I didn't put anything in my name. Okay, but I encourage people to do that. It's very, it's easy to do. That could be your first homework assignment on the wiki. Uh, social activities. This is a very useful page. So for instance, Last week, we had a group dinner at a Chinese restaurant downtown. We did that Thursday night. I think we'll do that again. Uh, probably we'll pick a different restaurant. Uh, people have a suggestion what kind of cuisine you'd like. Talk to me about it, and I can try to find such a place. Uh, uh, this is how we coordinated how we got there. People put their names. Did they have a car? How many spaces did they have in the car? This worked out pretty well, actually. Except when we left, and some people left with their cars that didn't take enough people. <laughs> but, but, but we solved that problem, too. OK, so, uh, so uh, also on this page are some recommendations for local restaurants that people have put up. Uh, possibilities of things to do, like beach barbecues, hiking. Uh, these are links to pages that describe the different hikes that are possible and, and describe their difficulties. And they're all uh, very accessible, actually. None are very far from here. Uh, this is a description of something in Santa Barbara called First Thursday, the first Thursday of every month. There's uh, all, all the um, art galleries open, or many of them open their doors, and uh, there's live music and things. I should say on Sunday mornings, uh, down at the waterfront in Santa Barbara, there's an art fair also. Uh, 
so on and so forth. Okay. Uh, okay, so how do we, how do you uh, edit? So the first thing you should do, let's see, I'm not logged in here yet, it looks like. Uh, so I'd have to uh, first log in. So let me see if I can do that. Uh, it says, yes, sign in. There we go. So this is one way to sign in. Another way is just to keep it on all the time, which I don't do. So my, uh, my, my username is uh, my address here. We can use our home email address. Yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, you'll be prompted for an internal name at some point. Like I just chose uh, my name as one string there. But uh, okay, so now I'm in, and you see this this menu bar here has changed a little bit. It's become activated. So edit will let me edit the page. Uh, this dot 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 is somewhat useful to get more options there. So for instance. I can print pages uh, directly. I can be notified if there's any change to particular pages that I want. I can be notified in different manners and so on. Uh, but let's say, uh, uh, let's say I wanted to edit the social activity page. Let's say I wanted to add a group dinner. Okay, so I would go to edit. That puts me in an editor. Now and you'll see this looks something like other WYSIWYG editors you've seen. I can make my font bold, italic, underline, and so on. Uh, this funny thing that looks like a chain, that's how you insert a link. So I would write some text, select it, turn it into a link. Um, uh, I don't know, let's do an example here. Uh, uh, our first group dinner will be, okay, so let's, uh, I'll make something new here. I'm gonna choose a, a header. Uh, I like to use heading three, and I'll say our Second group dinner will be Thursday night, night, January 17. Okay. Uh, I'll save that. When I save, it jumps me out of the editor. Okay, so there's no, there's no question about now going back to edit. I have to go and choose edit again. Okay, every time you say, you're popped out. That's just the way it is. Okay. Uh, making links is very simple uh, as well. Uh, let's, uh, let's do an example of that. Uh, let me pull up a web page. I don't know. Does La Superica have a web page? <laughs> That's not open this week. Or oh, it might be open too late. Or it might be open Thursday. This is La Superica. Okay. La Superica. This is a infamous taqueria on Milpas Street. Oh, yeah. So let me, uh, I'll, I'll use this as, this URL as the link. I just copied it. So now I go to edit. I'll go, our second group dinner, uh, let me just say, La Super Rica. Okay, I would select that. I'd go to the link. Okay, now I have a choice. Do I want to link a page or a file, a web address or an email address? So I'm going to link a web address. I select that. I just paste in that URL. I say add link. And it's turned into a link. All right? That's all there is to it. It's that simple. Okay. So, uh, oh, I have to hit save. Sorry. One last thing to do. Hit save. I'm popped out of the editor. Okay. That's. That's all there is. Uh, let's see. Uh, useful information. I don't know. 
you can you can explore this on your own. Um, but your intent is not for us to uh, individually go in and try to influence the choice of restaurants, but rather to <laughs> refer to interesting intellectual questions. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, no, I, I mean, you do this too, but I, yeah, no, I mean, uh, no, social activities really is your page to edit. Uh, you know, group dinners, I haven't, I haven't locked it off or anything like that. Uh, but for instance, uh, if someone wants to put down an idea for a hike, let's say a hike over near uh, to see the butterfly beach or something like that, uh, or the butterfly, the butterfly grove in, in the in the western part of Goleta, uh, you know that's something you could do here. You say I'm organizing a trip to, you know, it's, no, that's perfectly fine. You don't you don't have to restrict yourself to the reference material page or to the challenging questions page. You, all these pages are open for editing except the talks and discussions. Uh, in fact, it's very easy to create a new page, and that's what you do up here. So pages and files, if I want to add something that isn't there, I just, I just give it a name, and I, that's how I made challenging questions, for instance. I just said challenging questions, I created a whole new page, and, uh, and now people are working on that. So, okay. Uh, I think I'm just about done. I think uh, not much else to say. Um, the, the wiki, the wiki space is uh, basically open to everybody. Uh, though, if you want to edit, you have to be a member. So, uh, the wiki spaces for the other programs, you can find them just like you can find all the archived talks back at the KITP page for all the previous programs and things like that. So. So you know, there's a lot to explore here. None of this ever goes away. <laughs> so maybe you should be aware of that too. Uh, these these things live forever, just like the archives talks. They go back to the late '90s here, I think, when they started doing it. So. Okay, thank you for your attention. That's it. That's it. You're done.